Hey there, everybody. This is your host, Michelle Ann Olson, and you are listening to Are You Afraid of the Bark, the podcast that goes bark in the night. Welcome, dear listeners, to this episode 14 of the podcast. I will just straight up apologize that this is coming to you just a few days late. Your intrepid hostess, that's me, had some migraines earlier in the week, and let me tell you that nothing is worse for migraines than the sound of your own voice. So here I am recording just a few days late, and I am sorry about that. Hopefully it doesn't happen again, or at least doesn't happen very often. This is what happens when you're a one-woman show. Now today, in this episode 14, I'm going to be talking about something a little bit different, something that was very curious to me even as I was researching it, and this is a topic called elementals, elemental spirits. And in particular, I'm going to be telling the story of one elemental haunting that took place in Great Britain. And of course, this haunting relates closely to an animal, and animal features quite strongly in that story. But before I delve into it, I wanted to quickly talk a, a little bit about what an elemental is, what an elemental spirit is, because the idea was new to me. And a lot of the resources that I found, to be honest, were a little bit strange. The word I think is esoteric, right? That that describes all of these, the sort of classification of religions, naturalism and Wicca and pagan and various sort of mystic or, or natural based religions or worldviews. So yeah, the idea of the elemental was a little bit strange as I was researching it, and I want to pass on some of the interesting information that I found to you. So elementals are essentially nature spirits, and although hauntings can be caused, or so these various sources claim, can be caused by elemental spirits, they are not ghosts, they are not departed souls, they are not poltergeists, they are something much older and much more mysterious and much more tied to the earth itself. So according to these different teachings, elementals are the four groups of nature spirits. They are the forces of nature evident in the four elements. Now these elements, of course, are earth, water, air, and fire. And each of these elements has its own kind of spirit that manifests in different ways and can apparently manifest in different kinds of hauntings. So when we talk about the earth and about earth spirits in these esoteric teachings, the earth spirits are most often associated with gnomes. Gnomes tend the earth through the cycle of the four seasons and ensure that all the creatures of the earth are supplied with their daily needs. So they process waste and byproducts, they purge the earth of poisons and pollutants, and they clean up the imprint of our negativity, apparently which, which is able to leave negative impressions on the earth itself. So all of the negatively charged energy that we human beings create in this world with our wars and our crimes against one another and against our animal brethren, apparently it is the job of the earth spirits, the gnomes, to clean that up and to create balance. 
When it comes to the guardians of the sea, these are called undines, and I'm probably pronouncing that wrong. Hold on just a second. Undine, undine. All right, undine, or undine. So undines are the elementals whose domain is water. So they're mermaid-like beings. They're swift in their movements. They can change form. They control the tides and are associated with oxygenation and precipitation. The weird thing about these elemental spirits, which again are called upon in sort of mystic religions, natural religions, paganism and, and Wicca, for example, there's something mystical and like spiritual about them, but also tied into scientific ideas like oxygenation. I am not an expert on this at all. I'm just giving you a brief overview before we get to our main story, which, by the way, is very scary, in my opinion, and which kept me up, has kept me up, like, I get up to go to the bathroom at night, and I'm alone, and Coco is asleep, and I just, like, have been, <laughs> like, thinking of this story that I'm going to tell you in a few minutes, like, I'll think of it randomly, and just, like, you know when you, like, run back to your bed to hide under the covers? That's what this story makes me feel like. So, anyway, back to the... Undine. So they cleanse waters that have been poisoned. They are responsible for sort of the current and the tides. And they apparently are responsible. We can call upon them to cleanse our emotional and subconscious beings, sort of the subconscious being related in some way to the underwater world. Then when it comes to the air spirits, these are called sylphs. And they direct air currents, control atmospheric conditions. They have thin ethereal bodies. They can travel great distances very quickly. And they are like transformers. Uh, not like uh, Michael Bay's transformers, like Autobots and Decepticons. But what I mean is that they conduct the currents of the mind of the gods into the mind of man. So it's through them that we would receive, I guess, visions if we were to follow the teachings of these various religions that incorporate the idea of elemental spirits. And finally, in the fire, we have the salamanders, and they are working at the atomic level of all life, the molecules of the spiritual fires of creation. So without the spark of life sustained by the salamanders, life itself would cease to exist. So just a very brief overview. This is generally what are thought of as the elemental spirits. And again, I found this interesting resource that talks about the ways in which an elemental haunting differs from the haunting by a ghost or spirit or poltergeist. So Apparently, if you are haunted by an earth elemental, and the best way to get haunted by an elemental is to be out in nature. They don't typically apparently come into cities. They don't come close to places that are just inhabited by man and urbanization and technology. You're more likely to run into them in nature, and especially if you are disturbing the natural order or disturbing elements of untouched nature. So if you are haunted by an earth elemental, here are some of the things to look out for that we could associate with a haunting by an earth elemental. So they may cause animals to behave strangely, often scaring them. And pay attention, this is going to come into play in our story in just a few minutes. They can cause a person to be suddenly overcome with a fear of being buried alive. 
Another symptom of an earth elemental haunting is a sudden fear of leaving the home or agoraphobia. So gnomes can be mischievous and sometimes threatening to humans. When they are heard to speak, their voices are reported as gruff. Now, water elementals, a haunting by a water elemental could cause a human to become obsessed with water. It can even cause a person to commit suicide by drowning themselves. Apparently, if you're haunted by a water elemental, you might also have unexplained and repeated plumbing problems. And that just sounds inconvenient to me, as well as the unexplained pools of water appearing in your home. Although, again, it doesn't seem that elementals necessarily haunt our homes in our cities. As we'll hear, they're more likely to come to you or become a problem for you if you are out in nature and disrupting where they lie, I guess. If you are haunted by a fire elemental, humans will develop a sudden obsession with fire. We might even see the apparition of fireballs, reflecting orbs of light, and tongues of flame. And objects will spontaneously catch fire. So that's great. It's also, it notes that this is not the cause of human combustion. So I guess that that's good news. But apparently if you're haunted by a fire elemental, there's a high risk of your furniture catching fire. And finally, if you are haunted by an air elemental, this does sound like poltergeist activity to me to a certain extent. They are known to throw and break objects. They can cause agitation and fighting among humans so they can cause they can almost cultivate or breed discord among a community or family members and there are animals associated with their presence including black dogs horses badgers hares and pigs those are associated with air elemental hauntings also they can leave behind fairy rings you can look up pictures of these they're naturally occurring rings of mushrooms that are associated with like fairy or other, the intervention of a magical creature to cause them to grow in these perfectly concentric rings. So those are elementals. And I wanted to give you a little primer, by no means extensive. I am by no means an expert. I had honestly never even known that this was a type of haunting that can occur or that it was associated with animals in any way. But I read this story, this book that I think I mentioned in a previous episode. It's called Haunted Pet Stories, Tales of Ghostly Cats, Spooky Dogs, and Demonic Bunnies by Mary Beth Crane. And I'm basically going to read directly from this story to you. So this book, Haunted Pet Stories, Tales of Ghostly Cats, Spooky Dogs, and Demonic Bunnies, by Mary Beth Crane. I like it. It's a great book. Some of the stories are sad. Some of them are funny. Some of them, like this one, have given me like a legitimate chill. I recommend this book if you want to borrow it from me, if you want to order it off of Amazon. One day in future, I would actually like to reach out to Mary Beth Crane and maybe ask her to sit down to an interview with me on this podcast because she has her own stories of dearly departed pets who have come to visit her. And she's a, a great writer and clearly very interested in this topic of haunted animals, of animal ghosts and, and demons and animal spirits. And she writes with such a love and respect for the animals. I really enjoyed this book. All of that to say that I'm going to read this story verbatim to you. All right, here we go. 
I'm reading to you from chapter 19. Chapter 19, The Ghosts of Ballybrig. In Galway, Ireland, Ballybrig Castle was once home to an intimidating ghostly creature, half man, half what? It was tall and gangly, with a large pumpkin head and root-like limbs, and was usually sighted in the mist and the darkness, loping about in mysterious, sinister fashion. All who encountered the entity were naturally unnerved by it, but a little dog named Pickle was particularly sensitive to its presence. So Crane goes on to talk about an Irish ghost hunter named Elliot O'Donnell, and basically he lived from 1872 to 1965. She just introduces him, the fact that he saw his first ghost, which he claimed was an elemental at the age of five, that he continued to see ghosts, to write about the supernatural until his death, at the age of 93. He's a key character in the story, so she briefly goes through his history, the history of his writings, a very well-known ghost hunter and sort of vocal believer in in spirits throughout his life. So a well-trusted resource. So the author goes on to introduce him, and now I will resume her story, pick up with her words. Quote, all in all, it's difficult to discount many of O'Donnell's personal experiences. One in particular, involving a quarry, a ghost, and a dog named Pickle, was truly remarkable. O'Donnell was visiting his friends, the Dillons, in Ireland. It was his first trip to Galway, and he was looking forward to experiencing this famous part of his native country. The Dillons had recently bought Ballybrig Castle, which was not actually a castle, but rather a newly built, castellated house. Ballybrake was comfortably isolated, at least a mile from any other property. Among its charms was a beautifully landscaped terrace lawn, and further beyond, a rugged field with a hillock and a quarry. High walls enclosed the backyard in a pool, rumored to be fathomless. As soon as O'Donnell arrived at Ballybrake, he sensed an awed energy. I had the feeling that there was something very queer about the house the first night I was in it, he recalled. Something I had never experienced before too subtly unusual to explain. Tired from his long journey, O'Donnell went to bed early that night and promptly fell asleep. Then he recounted, something woke him abruptly. I had the feeling something startling was about to happen. The window magnetized me. I got up and went to it. The night was fine and very still. Every object in the landscape stood out very clearly. A big, dark Galway hare scurried across the ground and a night bird hooted dismally. O'Donnell looked toward the quarry where he saw a misty shape emerge and advance slowly and purposefully toward the house. It was tall and thin, human in form, but with long spidery arms and legs and a round head. Loping along in the moonlight, its arms dangling by its sides, it was indeed a creepy sight. No shit. The apparition drew nearer and nearer. Ever the ghost hunter, O'Donnell was far more intrigued than frightened. When the figure moved toward the yard and stables, the house dogs began whining and growling. The window, said O'Donnell, seemed to hold him in a magnetic grip. Finally, with great effort, he tore himself away from the incredible scene and went back to bed. The following morning, Nora, one of the Dillon daughters, came down to breakfast looking pale and upset. 
She'd been awakened, she said, by the dog's barking in the middle of the night, and upon going to the window she had seen a misty, sinister figure skulking about the grounds. O'Donnell then recounted his experience. That was some interesting conversation at that breakfast table. The next one to experience the ghost was Pickle the dog. Nora's sister, Deidre, was playing fetch with Pickle, the family's Welsh corgi. When Pickle missed the ball, it rolled into a bush. Normally, the little dog would have bounded after it. But as soon as Pickle neared the bush, she stopped short and began to whine and growl, her fur standing on end. The next thing Deirdre knew, the ball came whizzing out on its own. Pickle barked hysterically and started running, tail between her legs. Deirdre checked the bush but saw no one. Then who, or what, had thrown the ball back to them? One morning, the third Dylan daughter, Sally, was walking Pickle on the hillock. Suddenly, the dog began whining and pulling on her lead, trying to get Sally to turn back. Sally was astonished, as Pickle had never acted this way before. She was obviously fearful of something. But it was a beautiful morning, and Sally had no intention of returning to the house just yet. She ignored Pickle's consternation and tried to pull the corgi along. Pickle was as obstinate as could be. She sat down and refused to budge, all the while whining insistently. Why do I record these episodes alone in my apartment? I I can't. <laughs> I'm really nervous. <laughs> Sally was about to give her a swat and a scolding when she suddenly felt something clutch her ankle. She looked down to see a big bony hand with long spidery fingers wrapped around it. She screamed and the hand released her and disappeared into thin air. Now Sally was more than willing to take Pickle's advice. She and the dog bolted back to the house. When she related the story to the family, they realized that none of the spooky occurrences could possibly be coincidence or a figment of their imagination. There was a sinister apparition haunting Ballybrig, and why or what its intentions were, they had no idea. But one of the Dillon boys, Daniel, had a friend by the name of Herbert Ranger, who was a member of the Society for Psychical Research. He phoned Ranger, who obligingly came out to the castle and listened to all the accounts of the ghostly encounters. So the author then goes on, there's quite a bit of dialogue back and forth between the women of the house who are accused by this ghost researcher, essentially accused of being hysteric, and they're like, no, I saw what I saw. Sally says, I think not, I saw what I saw, and what about Mr. O'Donnell? He's not crazy. And all the while, there's this back and forth that I'm not going to read, and essentially this, this ranger decides that he is going to have to do a stakeout to determine the validity of their stories because he doesn't believe the women of the house, nor apparently does he believe Pickle. So picking back up, after supper, everyone sat around talking until the old mantle clock struck 11. There was an obvious tension in the room, a combination of fear and anticipation as Ranger rose and put on his overcoat. But as he opened the door, Pickle suddenly bolted outside. Pickle, come back, girl, Deirdre called. But Pickle stubbornly ignored her mistress and stood there, barking up at Ranger. I believe she wants to go with you, Daniel said. It's almost as if she wants to show you something, O'Donnell remarked. I don't know. Ranger was doubtful. She might disturb the energies, scare off the entity, you know. 
A pickle was already galloping toward the quarry. After Ranger left, Sally said, I hope he sees that ghost, and I hope it scares the pants off of him. An hour later, the front door opened, and Ranger walked into the room, accompanied by a panting pickle. Did you see anything? Everyone cried at once. Yes, he said slowly. What? Come on, man, tell us. Ranger sat down. He looked shaken. When I got to the quarry, Pickle was already there. She was whining and her fur was up. As soon as she saw me, she began venturing forward, looking over her shoulder at me all the time as if to make sure I was following her. Then I saw something. I can't say for sure what it was. A misty figure, part human, part, I should almost say, tree. I believe that it is what Professor Tyler, the famed animist, classifies as an elemental. Tyler believes that everything has a spirit, whether animate or inanimate. Trees, rocks, stones, all live harnessed to the things to which they are closely allied until something happens to detach them. In this case, I believe it was the making of the quarry. Somehow, during the disturbance of the rock bed, a nature spirit was let loose and is wandering about. Are we in danger, they asked. Spirits like this can be harmless, or they can be treacherous, Ranger replied. I don't like to alarm you, but I believe in this case it's the latter. I strongly advise you either to have the quarry filled, or to sell your home. Filling in the quarry would be a massive undertaking, said Mr. Dillon. Not necessarily, replied Ranger. The quarry isn't that deep. And then he goes on to contact some corporation to help them fill in the quarry. There is a fair bit of historical detail here that does remove from the, 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 the narrative, the, the, the spookiness of the story, but I suppose the fact that there are historical facts to rely on at all indicates that this really did happen, and that makes me really uncomfortable. So Ranger contacted the corporation, and the quarry was subsequently filled in, and that seemed to do the trick. As for O'Donnell, the ghost hunter, he concluded regarding this particular adventure, when the filling was completed, the haunting of Ballybrig Castle ceased, and thanks, in part, to a psychic little dog named Pickle. Whew! I don't know, something about the description of that creature? Like, I have pins and needles. I can't even, with these, like, the long, thin arms, the, like, lumbering gait, this very unnatural creature outside of your window in the mists of Ireland, the the long spidery fingers coming out of the bush to grasp her ankle. I can't. I really can't. I have like I feel all flushed. I am such a cowardly human being. And I used to say I I'm only afraid of two things faceless ghosts and ghosts with faces. And what I mean is that I'm afraid of everything, and, but I'm extra super afraid of ghosts that have weird bodies, like if they're faceless or if they have long spidery arms and these sort of like lumbering gates and these misshapen heads. I just ugh, I can't even. So I think that now that I've gotten myself all worked up, I am going to conclude this episode 14 of Are You Afraid of the Bark? I hope that you've enjoyed it. The topic is maybe a little bit strange, a little bit out there. Let me know what you thought of sort of telling this story in Mary Beth Crane's own words. Let me know if you like that or not. Let me know if you want to hear more about, I don't know, different kinds of sort of more unconventional kinds of 
spirits like elementals. I certainly enjoyed researching them because it wasn't a topic I was especially familiar with. As always, let me know your thoughts. Let me know what you like and dislike and what you want to see in future because ultimately I'm here because I love these stories. I love researching them. I love telling them. I love the chill that I get down my back as I uh, research and write and tell them. But I'm ultimately ultimately here for you. So let me know what you want more of and I'm happy to deliver. So you can contact me in a number of ways. Of course, by email at afraidofthebarkpodcast.gmail.com, on Facebook at AYAOTB Podcast, on Instagram at afraidofthebarkpodcast, and on Twitter at afraidofthebark. Let me know what you think. Please interact with me. I'm perfectly friendly. I don't bite, even if sometimes the subjects of my stories do. And as always, if you have it in your heart to leave me a review, through Apple Podcasts, or if the platform that you listen to this podcast on has the option to leave a review. If you're able to leave me a starred review and a few words of encouragement, that's assuming that you like the podcast, then I would really appreciate it. It's nice to hear back from you and to know that I'm not just putting this out into the other, that you're there, that you're listening, and that you're maybe enjoying it. So I'm going to go have a glass of wine and turn on all the lights. That's how I'm feeling. So thank you very much for listening to this episode 14. As always, it's been a pleasure. And as always, I will leave you by simply saying that I hope that you have sweet dreams tonight. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 